Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church, and welcome to the Grace Place NYC online church. Uh, welcome, whether you're joining on Facebook or YouTube. We are so glad that you are here, and I hope and pray that you are ready to receive from God this morning because He wants to speak to you. Amen? We are in part seven of our I Got the Joy series, and we're going through Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Um, someone recently told me uh, they're, they're involved in children's ministry, and they told me that uh, after they had given the lesson to the children, they had realized that everything that they talked about were things that they needed to work on in their own lives. And I think this is how this series has been for me. I've grown tremendously in my faith personally as I've been studying and uh, preaching through this amazing letter. And I hope that um, you have been growing in your faith and you've been challenged as well. Uh, so let's look at Philippians chapter 3. And we're, uh, the, the, series, or the sermon today is going to be on verses 1 through 11, but we're going to start out by reading verses 1 through 6. And uh, here, here's, here's what it says. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Over the last several years, I've been going through a deconstruction of ideas, mindsets, and beliefs that I was taught were biblical, but I've realized uh, over the last few years that I've been uh, going through this that these things that I grew up and was socialized to believe were biblical are actually not biblical at all, but they're cultural. For example, I was socialized to believe that the more patriotic you are, the more spiritual you are, which you can't find that in the Bible at all. Uh, I was socialized to believe that the American flag and the Constitution are almost on the same level as the Holy Scriptures. I inadvertently believed that America was the center of biblical history and what happens here must be of utmost importance to the second coming of Christ. I had a very America-centric view of Scriptures. I would read America into the scriptures where it wasn't. You know, but the Holy Spirit inspired writers don't ever mention America in their ap apocalyptic writings because America didn't exist at the time of the writing of the scriptures. I bring this up because I've seen genuine Christian folks fighting for the wrong things for the right reasons. Okay? What do I mean by that? In a misaligned zeal for God, I've seen Christians fighting for the ideals of our great nation as if those ideals are the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
they think they're doing it for God, but they're doing it out of a confidence in the flesh. And that's what I want to talk about today. Let's read verses three and four again. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. What is this confidence in the flesh that Paul is referring to? It's pride in your ability to appear like you have everything together. It's pride in your good deeds. It's the elder brother syndrome from the parable of the prodigal son. The, the younger son, he, he took his father's inheritance and wasted it on prostitutes and partying and, and on a lavish, uh, ungodly lifestyle. And he, and he comes back home and his father embraces him. Instead of rebuking him, he embraces him and forgives him and throws a party for him. And when the elder brother finds out about it, he becomes irate and angry at his father and says, you never threw a party for me, even though I never broke any of your rules. And I've been with you my whole life and never left one day. Confidence in your flesh makes you feel moral without Jesus. How do we put no confidence in the flesh as Paul tells us to do in verses 3 and 4? Well, number one, Paul tells us to watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the dogs. Have you ever been bitten by a dog before? Uh, if you have, I want you to put in the comments, I, I have, or put, a, put an emoji with your hand raised. I know I've been bitten by a dog before and it's no fun. It hurts. And if, if, you, if you've ever been bitten by a dog and, and it's broken skin, you've had to get a tetanus shot and, and all of that. Um, and, and so Paul says, uh, beware of the dogs. I have a fear of stray dogs, for those of you that don't know. If, 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 if a dog's with their owner in their home or there's a dog on a leash or behind a fence, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm not scared. But if I'm out running or walking and I see a loose stray dog, terror strikes my heart. We've all seen those signs posted on fences that say, beware of dog, right? This is what Paul is saying to us believers. For those of you who do not have a fear of dogs and are actually dog lovers and you're getting angry at me talking about dogs, uh, I want you to know that in Paul's day, dogs weren't considered a man's best friend. That They didn't have dogs as pets like we do today. They were nasty, unclean, and dangerous back in Paul's day. They often wandered where they didn't belong. Uh, the reference to dogs is significant because Jews often called Gentiles dogs because they viewed them as unclean. But here Paul is referring to the pure, clean, Torah-keeping Jews as dogs and telling the believers to watch out for them. When Paul tells the Philippian believers to watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about a group of people called the Judaizers. Judaizers were Jews who were willing to accept Christ as Messiah, but wanted to hold on to forms of Judaism. They believed that a Gentile had to become a Jew before they became a Christian, and specifically that they needed to be circumcised. They wanted to burden Gentile believers with the law of the Torah. According to the Judaizers, they needed to perform the good works of the law of Moses. All of those laws you read about 
in the Old Testament books and specifically in the first five books of the Bible. That, that is the law of Moses. And, and, and they needed to perform, according to the Judaizers, they needed to perform all of these good works of the law in order to truly be saved. Beware of false teachers who try and add to the gospel of Jesus Christ that say you have to be water baptized in order to be saved, that say you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues in order to be saved, that say that you have to be a Republican or a Democrat in order to be saved. Beware of people who who add on to the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have to believe in Him by faith through grace in order to be saved. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Galatian believers who are ravaged by these dogs teaching this false doctrine in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. What counts is your new identity and nature in Christ that only comes through faith in Him. The only way to right relationship with the Father is through the finished work of Jesus. There's no other way to be acceptable before God. His finished work is sufficient for our salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that clothes us with his righteousness. How do we put no confidence in the flesh? Number two, we boast in Christ. We boast in nothing outside of the finished work of Christ. We can boast in Christ because our righteousness does not come from our good works. Our righteousness does not come from doing good things for other people. Our righteousness does not originate from us because we serve in the church. Galatians 6, 14 says this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The only reason that I am saved that I am being sanctified and have been set free from sin and death is because of Christ alone. There is nothing spectacular or special about me. It's the grace of God that I am a child of God today. And if you are a child of God today listening and watching, it is only because of the grace of God that has saved you that you are a child of God. What is your confidence for salvation in today? Is your confidence in the fact that you grew up in church and your parents grew up in church? Is it in your family pedigree? Is your confidence in your knowledge of the scriptures? The only thing that we have to boast in is the cross of Jesus Christ. His finished work is sufficient for our salvation, sanctification, and glorification. Amen? You can grow up in church your whole life, be dedicated as a baby, go to Sunday school, know all of the Bible stories, attend youth group and youth camp every summer, not have sex, not cuss, give money to the church, and still not have a genuine relationship with Jesus. There are people in the church that have done all these things. They can check off the box. They can check it off, all the boxes in what I just mentioned. And they, tr- and they still don't have a true relationship with Jesus. You can follow the rules because that's what you've been taught while never being transformed by the love of God. 
In other words, you can do good deeds while still operating in your old nature. Many of us have been taught that the Lord helps those who helps themselves. And we think that we got saved because we were good people or we got saved because we made an effort to get saved and God met us halfway. But that is absolutely anti-biblical and anti-gospel. The Lord helps us because we are helpless. That's why God helps us. And it's only when we see our total depravity and helplessness that we can see the beautiful gift of God in Christ Jesus. Before Paul had his Damascus Road encounter with Christ, he put his confidence in his good works to prove his zeal for God. In Philippians chapter 3, in the, in the second part of, of verse number 4, uh, Paul says this, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists seven ways he put confidence in his flesh. And you would think, when you, when you hear the word flesh, you would think that these things would involve sex, drugs, alcohol, and rock and roll, or lying, cheating, and stealing. But his list is quite different from that, as we'll see. And so Paul, in this list of seven things, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Jews would traditionally perform uh, circumcision on the eighth day after birth. Uh, the badge of the male Jew was circumcision. This is what set the male Jew apart from the Gentiles. It was a ritual commanded by God, but fulfilled in Jesus. And now our hearts are circumcised of our old identity and our old sinful nature. And we're given a new identity and nature in Christ. Paul used to put his confidence in the ritual of circumcision. How many Christians do you know that put their fleshly confidence in a ritual? They believe that they're saved because they were water baptized, or they believe that they're saved because they were dedicated to the Lord as a baby. Rituals can't save you, church. It's only a personal encounter with Christ that can save you. Then Paul tells us that he was of the people of Israel, Paul put his fleshly confidence in his ethnicity. He had pride in the fact that he was a descendant of Abraham. He, he wasn't a Gentile convert to Judaism. He was a purebred Israelite, meaning both his mom and dad were full-blooded Jews. Do, do we love the fact that we're American more than we love that we are children of God? Are we more interested in advancing the ideals of our country than we are the ideals of our king? Is there a sense of pride in us that we are Americans that makes us think of ourselves as better than people from other countries? When we hear someone else whose English is broken because it's clearly not their second language, do we feel internally that we're smarter than them, that we're more intelligent than them? This is not a bash America sermon on any level. I love this country, but just because we're American doesn't mean God loves us any more or any less. We are followers of Jesus first. Our identity comes from Christ first and foremost. National identity can easily become spiritual idolatry. Let me say that again. National identity can easily become spiritual idolatry if we're not careful. 
And then he says, I, I, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Not only did Paul tell us he was of the people of Israel, but he tells us that he descended from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was, was one of the more prominent tribes of Israel. Benjamin and Joseph from Benjamin was where, you know, where the name, the tribe of Benjamin comes from. He, he and Joseph were Jacob's favorite sons because they were born from his favorite wife, Rachel. When the promised land was divided between the 12 tribes, Jerusalem, the holy city and the capital of the country of Israel was in Benjamin's territory. The first king of Israel, King Saul, came from the tribe of Benjamin. So this was a prominent tribe. Paul put his confidence in his pedigree. He had a sense of pride from his heritage and family name. But, but we know that God is not partial and does not just save people who have a prominent pedigree. Jesus himself was born into a poor family and not into a royal family when he came to save humanity from their sins. Even Christians are tempted to find pride in their last name, who their granddaddy was, right? But we know that whether you are rich or poor, whether you come from prominence or insignificance, we are all sinners in need of grace that only comes from Jesus. And then he goes on to say, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul was devoted to the traditions of his Hebrew culture. Traditions can be good, and my family has many traditions that we do as a family, and we love those, and we cherish those. But we must remember that tradition isn't everything. The way we always have done things might not be the way we need to do them moving forward. Tradition can become an idol quickly when we place our tradition over what it, God is currently doing. And, and then he goes on to say, in regards to the law of Pharisee, Paul was an expert in keeping the rules. Paul was an expert in following the rules to a T. Paul kept the law and the tradition perfectly. Paul followed the rules to a T and placed his confidence in his ability to follow the rules. The Pharisees loved rules so much that they added rules on top of rules, on top of rules to the law of Moses found in the first five books of, of the Bible, of the Old Testament. And they did this in an attempt to, to try and make God love them more and exert power over the common people who could not keep all of the rules. Listen to Jesus' harsh words towards the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is saying that the Pharisees' rule-keeping was a mirage. It was all for show. They didn't follow the rules because they loved God or because they were so grateful for the grace of God in their lives. They kept the rules in order to have power and control 
over the people, to exert power and authority over people. Uh, they, they, it was just an image to make people think, right? The word hypocrite comes from a stage actor acting like something or somebody that they aren't really on the inside. That's what the Pharisees were. They cleaned they cleaned up the outside of the cup while leaving the inside dirty. They, they, they did these things. They followed all the rules for selfish reasons and because of selfish ambition. Uh, they, they cleaned the outside of the tomb, but on the inside was greed, selfish ambition, and filth of all kinds. And then Paul goes on to say, as for zeal, persecuting the church. You see, maybe you grew up thinking Paul killed Christians because he had this deep anger and hatred just because he had anger problems, he needed anger management. No, it was actually out of a zeal for what he thought God wanted him to do that he persecuted the church. So he says, as for zeal, this was a this was something he could have confidence in in his flesh because he did this for God. Uh, as for zeal persecuting the church, Paul was so zealous and full of passion for his tradition that he persecuted the church because he saw it as a threat to Judaism. People say all the time, it doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you are passionate about it. There was no one more sincere or passionate about what they believed in than Paul. You can be sincere about something and be sincerely wrong, right? Salvation doesn't come by passion. It comes by faith in the faithful one, Christ Jesus. Not only could Paul boast in his heritage and pedigree, right? In, in his ethnicity and his nationality, but he could also boast in his zeal and passion so strong that he actively persecuted the church. He was there as Stephen, the first Christian, uh, uh, the first Christian martyr was stoned to death because of his faith. He was holding the coats of the stoners. He, he, he actively imprisoned and put to death believers. And then he goes on to say, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He was faultless. Much like the rich young ruler, Paul's life was exemplary in obeying the law of Moses, but there was still something missing in his heart. He needed an alien righteousness that did not come from rule keeping, but came from the one who kept all the rules and was obedient even unto death on the cross. Where does your confidence lie? Does it lie in your rituals? In your heritage and pedigree? In your earthly citizenship? In your ability to keep the rules? In your passion? Where does your confidence lie? Back to the group called the Judaizers that inspired Paul to write these things about himself. Here is the teaching they pushed. National ethnic identity plus religious performance equaled right standing with God. Let me say that again. National ethnic identity plus religious performance equaled right standing with with God. They put their confidence and hope in this formula. They took pride in it and tried to enforce this false doctrine on new believers. But Paul says that a genuine Christ follower does not put his confidence in any of these things. 
listen to what he says. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at verses 7 through 11 in Philippians chapter 3 now. But whatever were gains to me, I now considered loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Uh, the, the, the original uh, uh, language, in the original language, that word garbage can also be translated as animal feces, animal dung. It was a very descriptive uh, word that Paul was using uh, uh, when he said, I consider all things garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on Philippians, says this, In this intensely autobiographical section, Paul examined his own life. He became an auditor who opens the books to see what wealth he has and discovers that he is bankrupt. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul, in comparison with Jesus, counted all things loss. All the things he used to put his confidence in that I just listed a moment ago, he put into the loss column, okay? Paul looked at his own life and heart and saw that he was spiritually and morally bankrupt. He then looked at Jesus and saw that he was perfect and had unlimited righteousness in his account. When Paul accepted Christ, God the Father put Christ's righteousness into Paul's bankrupt account and changed everything. If you are not jumping for joy right where you're at right now, you have something wrong with you. Because if you are saved, that same thing that has happened to, that happened to Paul 2,000 years ago that has happened to us, he put, when we get, when we got saved, God the Father puts Christ's righteousness into our account, our bankrupt account that's actually in the red, and he changes everything for us. He also discovered that his sins were placed into Jesus' account on the cross. And here's the best part. If we'll walk in relationship with Jesus, he'll never hold those sins against us again. That, my friends, is the grace of God and the greatest news that you will ever hear. It's the greatest message that you can ever hear. In verses 7 through 11 of Philippians 3, you get the impression that knowing Christ is Paul's supreme and ultimate ambition in life. There's nothing more important in Paul's life than knowing Christ. In fact, he mentions Christ nine times in these five verses. Paul got the revelation that you and I need to get. We cannot get to a place of being morally acceptable to God because of human effort. We can try and try and try and try, but we can never get to that place. It's only through Christ alone. As we're getting ready to close out today's message, 
here's what I want you to know, church. The call of the Christian is a call to die. The call of the Christian, the Christ follower, is a call to die. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death. We are called to die to the things we put our confidence in outside of Christ. And it's hard because the longer we are a Christian, the easier it is to start putting our confidence in our own ability to get things done or to live holy or to abstain from sin. It becomes easier and easier and easier to put our confidence in our own strength to be able to do these things and not Christ's strength. And we need to live holy and abstain from sin as a byproduct of dying to our flesh. But even in our abstaining, sin can rise up and we need to then put to death the sin under the sin, which is pride that starts to rise up. We are called to die to our selfish ambitions. We are called to die to our misaligned zeal and passions. We are called to die to the things we are tempted to boast in outside of Christ. We are called to forsake all other things for the sake of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. Anything that stands in the way of us knowing Jesus more, we are called to forsake. We are called to let go of. We are called to cut the ties. Anything that is keeping us or holding us back or blocking us or is an obstacle to us knowing Christ supremely and ultimately, we have to cut those ties. We forsake sin, not so we can say, look at me, God, and how well I'm doing, but because it creates a separation between us and Jesus. Because it creates a separation, it, beca- it, it creates a distance, and it affects our intimacy with Jesus. That is why we forsake all sin. That is why we abstain from sin. That is why we say no to sin. We die to ourselves and forsake all things because we know that a day will come when Jesus comes back for his bride and our bodies will be resurrected and we will rule and reign with him forever where Jesus will completely remove sin. He will completely remove death. He will completely remove injustice. He will completely remove poverty and we will live with him in perfect harmony and communion and and unity. And, and, And that is why we strive on in this world to know him more and to pursue him more. And that is why we forsake anything that will keep us from that intimate connection with Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.